Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the St. Louis Cardinals 4, the Cleveland Indians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. It feels like it's been a long time since I've talked with you. Uh, I want to give a shout out to everybody that listened to my Breaking News Guardians episode Uh, definitely one of the most played episodes of the season, so I appreciate everybody that took the time to listen to that. Still waiting. I'd love to hear emails and things and your thoughts about the Guardians, so if you got them, if you listened to that episode, if it made you you feel something, made you think something, shoot off an email, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know. Let me know what you thought of the episode, of the name change. I'd love to hear your thoughts and share them on the show. So let's get into this game. Let's get into these storylines. And this is going to be a pitching-heavy episode. This really is. Most of the storylines in this game come from pitching because the entire offense was one swing by Jose Ramirez. Let's get it out of the way right now. Jose Ramirez took a fastball and planted it out in the seats in right field. Beautiful swing, bringing in Ahmed Rosario with him. That's it. That's the entire offense for the Indians. I mean, five hits on the day, two of them coming from Bradley Zimmer. So yeah, so it's a pretty rough offensive day. I mean, they weren't even getting on base via the walk. Two walks, one from Hernandez, who was on base twice. He had a hit and a walk. One from Jose Ramirez, who was on base twice, a hit and a walk. So yeah, it's a pretty rough day offensively. We will get into some offensive stuff. I do want to talk about Bradley Zimmer, who's got his average up to 250. But let's get into the pitching here. And before we talk about Quantrill, I'm going to go a little bit out of order because this is about storylines. And the storyline for me is the fact that you had the lead. Quantrill gets through the six innings. And then you got a choice in the bullpen. He had Sandlin up warming when Quantrill got into trouble in the sixth inning. Right? Bases were loaded. He had Sandlin up. Instead, for the seventh inning, he chooses to bring out Brian Shaw. Now, if you go by what's been happening over the last month, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. Because for the last month, Sandlin has actually struggled a little bit. A little bit. He's only pitched uh, seven games. He's only pitched six and a third innings over the month of July. But he is carrying a 4.26 ERA for the month and a 1.89 whip. Now, he's given up three earned runs, six runs total, but only three earned runs for the month. And uh, most of those came in two outings, two separate outings. One's against the Royals, where he gave up three unearned. And then once against the Astros on uh, July 20th, where he gave up three earned. Um, He's had six walks and six strikeouts for the month of July. Now, if you look at Brian Shaw for the month of July, Brian Shaw's pitched in more games, 12 games, pitched 13 innings, uh, but he's got a 277 ERA for the month with a 1.38 whip. He's only given up five runs, four earned for the month, only three walks to 12 strikeouts. So for the month of July, Shaw has actually pitched better than Sandlin, but it did not work out last night. And frankly, I didn't like the decision. I think Sandlin 
I think Sandlin has the potential to be a really good reliever late in games. And Shaw just, and especially the way that inning started, he was just getting hard hit all over that ballpark yesterday. And he loses the game. He blows the game. Is it a blown save loss? Let's see what it's credited as. Yep, blown save loss. Um, You can't get a blown save not in the ninth inning. Uh, If you blow the game in the seventh inning, you're getting a blown save loss. He's hard hit four times. Uh, Gives up three hits, two earned runs, including a home run to Paul DeYoung. Um, Let's go to the uh, actual inning here. It starts off with a crazy play from Tommy Edmond, who doubles into right center field, 96.7 miles per hour off the bat. It had an expected batting average of 320. It goes to the gap in right center field, and from the high home camera, that's what they call it, the high home behind the home plate there, the one you see most plays from, Bradley Zimmer had no chance at catching this ball. Absolutely no chance. Did it stop him from diving for it? Absolutely not. He... He gave it a full effort. I'll give him credit for that. But from the crack of the bat, when they cut to that camera, you could tell that the math wasn't there. The angle wasn't there, right? If you've ever, uh, I feel like it was like shooting pool sometimes with those outfielders converging on the ball, right? You just, in pool, right? When you're shooting pool, you see the angles. You see the angles of where the ball is going to go. And you could see the angle on this one. And Zimmer was not going to catch it. He still goes full dive, uh, lays out, it goes over his head, bounces off the wall. Daniel Johnson does a good job of corralling it. You think, okay, Edmund gets a leadoff double. Okay, we can get out of this. It's not the end of the world. But the throw comes in. It, it one hops Ahmed Rosario and scoots away from him. Uh, it like pops out of its glove and shoots straight over his head. When that happens, Edmund thinks he can get on his horse and go to third steal an extra base there. Bobby Bradley actually covering second base is the one who comes up with the ball. He fires a throw that missed missed Edmund's shoulder head area by inches. By inches. It gets past him, lands in the glove of Jose Ramirez, and he slaps the tag down on Edmund to uh, get him at third base, trying to take that extra base. So it is an insane play to start off the inning for Brian Shaw. He then gets Harrison Bader to fly out, which is interesting because Bader was hitting everything last night. Then Matt Carpenter singles at 99.1 miles per hour. He gets ahead of Paul DeYoung. He's up 1-2. It's called a slider down and away. It's called for a slider outside, but he hangs a slider right down the middle, and DeYoung hits it way into the seats, in left field, onto the home run porch, 103.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Actually, the distance was only 368, but he pulled it down the line onto the left field home run porch, and he gets a big game leading to eventual game winning two-run home run out of it. And I just, I wish, I wish he would have gone with Sandlin in this situation. He had Sandlin warm. Giving Sandlin a chance here with a two to one lead, I would have loved to see it. Instead, Sandlin comes in in the eighth inning and faces the heart of the order 
and shuts him down pretty good. He gets Paul Goldschmidt to fly out loudly. 100.8 mile per hour exit velocity, 386, a 670 expected batting average, but it just goes as a fly out. Nolan Arenado then flies out, and Tyler O'Neill strikes out to end the eighth inning, but that was when St. Louis had the lead. That is not protecting a lead. That is trying to keep the Indians in the game. So Sandlin ends up facing the heart of their order and sits them down one, two, three, whereas Shaw faces the bottom of their order and gets hit really hard and gives up the game. So that's the first storyline for me. I know Shaw's had a better month, but I want to start seeing Sandlin in those situations as opposed to Shaw. And there's a chance Shaw could get traded. I mean, if you're trying to trade Shaw, that was not a good outing right there as a audition for another team. But uh, there's a chance Shaw gets moved at this deadline here. It probably won't fetch you much. But, I mean, it would make sense to save a few dollars. And you know how much Paul Dolan loves that. Uh, it would make sense to trade Shaw right now, to be honest. I mean, you're getting about as much value out of Brian Shaw as you're possibly ever going to get. So, yeah, I'd love to see Sandlin take over that role. So that's my first storyline, that crazy play. Uh, speaking of the bullpen, uh, Phil Maton also didn't have it. He thought he got out of the inning. He thought that they had uh, caught Harrison Bader stealing third base to end that inning. Uh, there were runners on. It was uh, Jose Rondon had walked behind Bader. So it was runners at first and second with Dylan Carlson up. I'm oh, sorry, with Paul DeYoung up. And they tried a double steal, which was crazy to me that you have this runner in scoring position. And like, what are you what are you trying to get by stealing third? If Young singles, there's a chance Bader's probably going to score from second anyway. So I don't know if Bader was just going on his own, but Maton uh, thought he was out of the inning. Thought he had held the 3-2 deficit and got us to the bottom of the ninth inning. Instead, he ends up walking to Young. After, after review, Bader is safe. He ends up walking to Young. Then he walks Dylan Carlson to walk in a run in the ninth inning before finally uh, they go to the bullpen, bring in Wickren, and he strikes out Goldschmidt to end that threat with the bases loaded, which... You got to give uh, Wickren some credit there for coming in and getting that strikeout with the bases loaded. But there was absolutely no reason that Maton should have still been in there facing Carlson. After he just walked two batters in a row, what are you leaving him in there for? Stall. Do whatever you have to do to give Wickren time to get into that game. And if you look over on the illustrator, it's clear that Maton did not have it. He did not get one pitch below the knees. And he threw the curveball a ton. He threw the curveball a ton and could not get one below the knees. Let's see how many curveballs he actually fired off yesterday. 14 curveballs yesterday. Not one of them fell below the knees. Not, not one of his six sliders fell below the knees. Not even a fastball or a cutter down there. The fastball, he could barely get down into the strike zone. Most of the fastballs are way up at their head, at their shoulders. So Maton clearly didn't have it yesterday. He clearly wasn't finishing his pitches. It's the follow-through, whatever it is, was not getting anything down. And uh, he ends up walking three guys in a row to give up an extra run. And I, I, the entire game, 
Francona was letting his pitchers try to get out of their messes. And with Maton, he left them in one pitcher, one batter, too many. It was one batter too many. So a bad day for the Indians' bullpen, sort of the B squad of the bullpen there. All right, other storylines in this game. I told you it's a pitching-heavy episode. Adam Wainwright absolutely dominated the Indians once again. Going over to his player breakdown, his curveball had a 39% CSW. Uh, Only six whiffs on 18 swings. Most of those go to Fermil Reyes, who did not have a good game. He struck out three times, I believe, all against Wainwright, and I believe all on curveballs. Uh, the sinker had a 38% CSW. His cutter wasn't as effective, only a 14% CSW, but his four-seam fastball, which he doesn't throw a ton, he only threw 10 times, had a 40% CSW. It's good for a 33% CSW on the day. And if it's been a while since you've heard me explain CSW, if you're a new listener, it is just called strikes plus whiffs divided by total pitches. So it's a pretty easy stat. It's a pretty easy measurement of basically how effective you are at getting strikes. Every now and then, when we're talking these advanced stats, I'll try to remind you of what they all mean, right? We're all in this together. We're all learning together as baseball fans. So I know some of you have been listening all season, have heard me talk about CSW all season. For the new listeners, called strikes plus whiffs divided by total pitches. So pretty easy stat there, but a pretty effective one and showing how good you were at getting strikes yesterday. And Wainwright just dominant again. His final line on the day, seven innings pitch, four hits, two earned runs, all in that Jose Ramirez home run, only two walks, eight strikeouts. He was only hard hit six times by the Indians. And I can't believe this, but he has only started against the Cleveland Indians. This guy's been pitching since 2005. And he's only started against the Cleveland Indians three times, and they've all come in the last two seasons. He pitched once in relief against us. He's got a 252 ERA in his career against the Indians. His best opponent when it comes to strikeouts per nine innings is the Cleveland Indians. 9.4 strikeouts per nine innings against the Cleveland Indians. Next would be the Red Sox, who he's only faced once at 9.0. And then the Padres, who he's obviously obviously faced a bunch. He's at 8.8 strikeouts per nine. So he dominates the Cleveland Indians. When it comes to whip, walk hits per innings pitched, he dominates the Cleveland Indians. He's got a 0.76 whip against the Cleveland Indians. The next closest is the White Sox. At 0.923, the Rockies at 0.976 are the National League team that he dominates the most. He's 11-1 against the Colorado Rockies with a 148 ERA. That is impressive. And 13 starts, 17 games total. Uh, Against the Houston Astros, he's dominant. 13-1 against the Houston Astros uh, with a 148 ERA and 16 starts, 22 games. So, yeah. Adam Wainwright, I can't believe he's only started against us three times. He's 3-0 and has just absolutely dominated us every time he's faced us. And he's striking us out a ton, more than any team he's ever faced in his career. So Wainwright was absolutely locked in. On the other side, Cal Quantrill had a really good game. 
Quantrill went six innings himself, only gave up four hits, only gave up one earned run on a solo home run to Harrison Bader, who was just on fire yesterday. Bader was three for four with two doubles and a homer. Got his OPS up to 916 and his average up to 301 yesterday. Anyways, back to Quantrill. Uh, One walk, only one walk, five strikeouts, 90 pitches, only got hard hit, I believe that is seven times. Uh, So Quantrill's CSWs are not great. Are not great. He's not a big strikeout guy, but he is a weak contact guy. Uh, His CSW on his sinker was actually better than it's been because he got eight called strikes. He's not getting a lot of swing and miss, but that pitch is not designed for swing and miss. That pitch sinkers are designed for weak contact. It's just to miss the barrel of the bat. Just enough to miss the barrel of the bat. And it worked. Uh, The average exit velocity off his sinker was 84.4. Off his slider was 79.5. Off his fastball, the average exit velocity was only 80.8. Average exit velocity off him on the day was 83.1. That's pretty good. That is pretty darn good, inducing weak contact. So, uh, yeah, so a pretty good day from Cal Quantrill. Um, Was pounding the strike zone. If we go over to the illustrator here, definitely trying to pound the strike zone with that sinker, with that fastball. The slider did a good job of dancing around the edges. So did the changeup and the curveball. Uh, I'd love to see more of those sinkers down. I mean, if you want that to be a ground ball pitch, obviously getting that sinker down is going to be helpful, but he uses it aggressively to throw strikes. And uh, it's been working the last three outings. Uh, Pre-All-Star break, he had two rough outings against both Houston and then Kansas City. Uh, But he's really calmed down since the All-Star break. Starts against Oakland where he takes the win. And then no decisions against Tampa Bay and the Cardinals. Uh, He goes five innings against Oakland, six innings against both Tampa Bay and the Cardinals. All three outings only gives up one earned run, one run total on four hits. For all three outings, four hits, one run. And his strikeout to walk ratio has been pretty good. Let's see here. There'll be 10, 12 strikeouts to six walks. For the month of July, he's going to walk away with a 2.86 ERA and a 1.13 WHIP, 2-0 record for the month of July. So I think you can look back on July and think, yeah, I, I settled in a little bit as a starter. And that's huge. That's absolutely huge. As we hope, the rest of our starters are coming back sometime soon. All right, the last thing I want to talk about, a little bit of offense here. Let's talk about Bradley Zimmer and the fact that he's got his batting average up to 250 now, which in this day and age is actually highly respectable. Uh, A 699 OPS, so just knocking on the door a 700 with his OPS. It was two singles for him yesterday, so that's not going to bump the OPS too much. Um, But I want to compare him. I wanted to find a good comparison for Bradley Zimmer. To see like how we feel. Like, is, is Bradley Zimmer actually like impacting this team in a way compared to say Bobby Bradley? Now, Bobby Bradley's got his batting average has plummeted. It's down to a 201 batting average, but he's still carrying an 802 OPS because he's slugging the crap out of the ball. Now, my question to you is who has been more valuable to the team? Bradley Zimmer 
in center field or Bobby Bradley at first base. Now, your initial thought is, of course, Bobby Bradley. Your initial thought is, of course, Davey. The guy has hit 11 home runs, driven in 22 runs, scored 25 runs himself. He's crushing the ball. It's got to be Bobby Bradley. But I'm over on fan graphs now, and I think if we look into some advanced stats, it's actually going to be closer than you think. Uh, Bradley Zimmer only has two home runs, 17 runs scored, only 15 runs driven in. He is down at the bottom of the order, so a lot less RBI situations down there. His bat bip, his batting average balls in play for Bradley Zimmer is up to 408. So he has definitely had some luck when it comes to his batting average getting up there. The batting average balls in play for Bobby Bradley is only 232. So he's basically got to put the ball out if he wants to get a hit right now. His expected weighted on base percentage for Bobby Bradley is up at 357, which is better than Bradley Zimmer. His expected weighted on base percentage is only 317. So the metrics do say that Bobby Bradley has uh, is doing a little better there. And then when it comes to WRC+, plus, weighted runs created plus, where league average is set to 100, Bradley Zimmer is actually... On the right side of this, he's at 101 now for his WRC+. plus. He's above average with his WRC+. plus. Bobby Bradley is up at 116. So those home runs have definitely made an impact on his value. Now, if we look at the overall war, wins above replacement. According to Fangraphs, Bobby Bradley is at 0.3. Bradley Zimmer is at 0.6. And his defense definitely helps him out there. That shows that uh, compared to a replacement player in center field and first base, Bradley Zimmer is actually giving you a little more than Bobby Bradley is giving you right now. Now, there's some other metrics we can look at to compare similar things. If I go down to the win probability, win probability added for Bobby Bradley, it's at negative 0.11. For Bradley Zimmer, if I go down to the win probability added, it is 0.55. That's a positive 0.55. So he is actually, Bradley Zimmer has actually added more win probability to the Cleveland Indians than Bobby Bradley has in his stint with the team so far. And there's a few other metrics here, but basically they break it down into a clutch stat. Based on the high leverage situations, what has a player done? And Bradley Zimmer's clutch stat is at 0.54. Bobby Bradley's clutch stat is at negative 0.48. So Bradley Zimmer has also been more clutch in high leverage situations than Bobby Bradley has. So I'm not saying that I think Bradley Zimmer is the better baseball player than Bobby Bradley. I'm just saying just because one guy has a higher OPS or has hit more home runs and one guy has a higher batting average, you have to look at it a little deeper. I think they both have brought value to this team in their own unique way. I think 
I think we really want to see Bobby Bradley succeed because we love a power hitter, especially a homegrown power hitter. If you could develop and home grow a power hitter, that is mind-blowingly huge for an organization. Manny Ramirez, Albert Bell, Jim Tomey, right? Travis Hafner, Victor Martinez, all homegrown power hitters. And they were huge different makers on those teams. Vermeil Reyes is someone we went out and found. We found him young. We found him early in his career, but he's someone we went out and found. If Bobby Bradley can turn into, I mean, even, even half of what Jim Tomey was, right? Three, three quarters of what Jim Tomey was. If we can get anything like that out of Bobby Bradley, that is going to be huge for this organization. But the same thing with Bradley Zimmer. If this guy can turn onto a base-hitting guy and use his speed, there is huge value in Bradley Zimmer. Plays really good defense out there in center field. And I think both these guys, Bradley Zimmer, it's so much harder to figure out. Because up until this point, his batting average had been pretty low. He has worked that batting average up. I'm still not sure what kind of hitter Bradley Zimmer is going to be. But I just I thought that was an interesting comparison from one guy who's got a high OPS, one guy who has a high batting average. What value have they actually brought to this team? All right, so uh, that is all my thoughts on the game yesterday. It sucked. It hurt taking that loss. Wainwright just absolutely dominates us. We'll see. We got a day game today. MVP for the day. I'm going with Cal Quantrill. It was a really solid start. He deserved better than facing Adam Wainwright. He deserved more from our offense. But I'm giving Quantrill MVP for the day. We didn't even talk about that sixth inning that he gets out of. The sixth inning was the first time he really found himself in trouble after DeYoung grounds out to lead off the inning. Dylan Carlson singles. Goldschmidt singles. And then he walks Nolan Arenado to load the bases. And you're thinking, that's got to be it. they got to be taking him out. No, they leave him in with bases loaded and one out. He gets Tyler O'Neill, this huge power hitter, the cleanup hitter for the Cardinals, to chop one back to the pitcher's mound, makes a really athletic play, scooping it in his glove and flipping it home with his glove to, uh, to Roberto Perez covering the plate to get the force out there, and then gets Yahir Molina to line out to left field. I'm sure off the bat, his heart probably leapt into his throat. The lineout was at 102.1 miles per hour. Had an expected batting average of 480, but it went right to Harold Ramirez for the final out. And he was so pumped up. He was so fired up to get out of that inning. Honest to God, I feel like it's the first time I've seen some real emotion from Cal Quantrill. So it was absolutely fantastic job to get out of that inning. Unfortunately, Indians just could not... They couldn't do it last night. They could not come up with the W last night. All right. Like I said, it's a day game today, and uh, we've got Plesak on the mound going against Kim. So we'll see if Plesak can do it, if the Indians can bounce back and even up this little tiny homestand. We did it. We split with them in St. Louis. Let's see if we can split here in Cleveland. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I'm still waiting for your Cleveland Guardians emails. Let me know your thoughts on the game. We'll discuss them on the show. 
Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, that's right. You don't have to email. You can actually call into the show. We'll play it on the air. We'll just talk about your thoughts. We'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>